pride groups are hopefully making the future feel a little bit brighter. Pride groups are wonderful queer spaces where we don't have to worry about the rest of the world. Pride groups are joyful because I think although there is a tough landscape at the moment in lots of ways, like everyone has said, these are safe spaces. Pride groups are a clear sign that schools are a safe space for LGBT plus young people and they make it make schools a more comfortable place for queer students. Hi, I'm Adam. Hello, I'm Joe. Welcome to Pride and Progress, a podcast which amplifies the voices of LGBT plus educators and allies. In each episode, we're joined by a variety of guests to discuss how we can collectively reimagine our educational spaces as LGBT plus inclusive. Join us as we learn, unlearn and celebrate the power of diversity. Hello friends and welcome to Pride and Progress. This week we are discussing the topic of pride groups. There is significant evidence showing that safe spaces for LGBT plus students and colleagues in schools, often referred to as pride groups, can have lasting positive impacts. These positive impacts are not just felt by the LGBT plus staff and students that attend these groups, but often also by the wider school community. And so today we are welcoming four guests to discuss this important topic. Our first guest is Frankie Cowper. Frankie's pronouns are she, her, or they, them, and they are the Education Programs Manager at Just Like Us, the LGBT plus young persons people's charity. As the Programs Manager, Frankie oversees the running of the Just Like Us Pride Groups program, through which they support schools in running and maintaining thriving LGBT plus and ally groups. As an ex-teacher, Frankie knows the value of safe spaces for LGBT plus young people and how valuable the support of Just Like Us is. Frankie, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. (laughs) Our pleasure. Now, Frankie, you are uniquely experienced to talk on the topic of pride groups. But just to start us off, could you explain a bit more about what a pride group is? So a pride group is a space in schools, essentially, and that can look very different depending on your school setting. Um, an important point is to say that these are not just spaces for LGBT plus youth, they're also for allies, those who are questioning, and also staff to come along as well. It's really important, I think, that it becomes a space for allies as well as those who identify already as LGBT plus. The groups can happen really at any point during the school day. I'd say that the most common pattern I hear of is them as lunchtime clubs, Um, but they also can happen after school, and I've even heard of them happening before school. I don't think I would ever have gone to a group before school as a teenager, but (laughs) if if that works for the school, then it works. Um, Some of them will happen weekly, some of them will happen more regularly, some will happen less regularly, so maybe even once every half term, depending on what works for the school. Um, and some will be for all year groups in a school. If it's a, it's, a, it's a secondary school, it might happen for year seven to year 13. Some might be split by key stage for logistical reasons, for example, different lunches, and some might be uh, split for other reasons. Um, although I'd say the most common thing is that they're for every year group in the school. And it is really positive when they are like that because it's such an important space for people of all ages to mix. The people who lead prior groups are from a huge variety of backgrounds. Some of them will be teaching staff. Some of them will be non-teaching staff staff like Charlotte who's here today um, and some of them will be members of the LGBT plus community and many are allies who are just really dedicated to making sure that these spaces are there for the young people in their school. That was such a good summary and I'm excited to delve into some of those things in a little bit more detail later. As Frankie mentioned we're joined today also by Charlotte Clark. Charlotte's pronouns are she, they, and they are the L- an LGBTQ plus book blogger, podcaster, D&D nerd, and the school librarian. She's passionate about LGBTQ plus education and activism, and their mission is to help young people feel safe and comfortable in their identity, and to make diverse books and media accessible to everyone. Charlotte, thank you for joining us. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. Now, you run the Pride Group in your school. Could you tell us how your Pride Group got set up and what motivated you? I So my colleague, who is incredible, she, she's amazing. Uh, we, we're just like this little um, duo that do everything together. Um, she sent Rand an email. Uh, it has to be over a year ago. And she had discovered Just Like Us and the Pride Groups. And she uh, emailed a bunch of staff kind of saying, um, is anyone interested in being a part of this? Um, Because she, uh, at that point, was in charge of 
things like pupil voice and uh, the pupil parliament and things like that. So she's really interested in various ways where she can get pupils involved um, in in many different ways. So she emailed a bunch of people, including all of our pastoral staff and uh, some other teachers. And I was like, oh my God, yes. Like I, <laughs> I jumped on it. I was so excited. Um, like as a queer person working in a faith school, it can kind of feel a little bit um, like those two things don't match sometimes. So I was kind of really interested to pick up on this with her and see what we could do. Um, and because inclusivity is my thing anyway, it seemed like a, a great thing. So yeah, we got the group up and running. Um, we kind of just had like a few people, uh, sort of prefects were interested in joining us. Um, and it's kind of just grown from there, really. Like we just, it's a thing, we don't have a lot of time. We do it at break times in our school. So we have 20 minutes every Friday. Um, but we, yeah, we've kind of got more and more people coming. I think at the moment we now have easily around 20 people come to our club across the year groups. We've got year seven all the way up to year 11. Uh, we don't have a sixth form. So um, yeah, it's just it's just grown from from, I, from an idea. We've now got a whole team of us and it's it's really fun. Terrific. Thank you so much, Charlotte. And I think what's going to be so valuable about this episode is to hear the real experiences of people that are running Pride Group. So thank you so much. And we look forward to talking to you more shortly. No worries. It's my pleasure to welcome back to the show our next guest, the fantastic Adele Cronin, who joined us in season two. Adele's pronouns are she, her, and she is the acting head teacher in a large city centre secondary school in the southwest, as well as the co-chair of the ASCO LGBTQ plus network. As well as that, she is also the co-author of the upcoming book, The Secondary School's Guide to Pride, which we'll hear more about in just a moment. So Adele, first of all, welcome back to the show. Hi, Adam. It's great to be back with all of you. I love spending time in these virtual spaces with with those who are involved in queer queer work across the country. Likewise, thanks Adele, it's great to have you here. So we mentioned the book there briefly and we'll discuss it more throughout the episode, but could you just start us off by telling us how did the book come about? Yeah, like all amazing things, it came from Twitter. Isn't that the key to all education? I think <laughs> everything is built from there. And, um, you know, it started because Lois and I had connected via Twitter, as we both had been sharing experiences of uh, equalities work, um, EDI work, DEI work, and um, around LGBT plus experiences in our schools for quite a long period of time. Um, and then Lois had a fantastic idea and reached out via uh, DM on Twitter. And then from there, there's been this incredible kind of journey we've been on where we both share the passion for having a practical workbook or guide that anyone anywhere would be able to access, pick up and use it as a tool to be able to put um, pride groups in place in their school. And that that was built and written from the lived experience of those who have done it in a variety of different settings, not just the settings Lois and I um, have worked in and experienced. Um, so in a bid to remove the barriers that might be in place for people who work with young people across different settings of secondary school age, we started many, many shared Google Docs and Zoom calls and panicked messages going, I haven't texted you back. I'm sorry about that. I am going to get back to that bit or going, oh, my goodness, did you see so and so just got back to us? Isn't that really exciting? As well as, you know, all that life has brought with us over the last year or so. So that's kind of where where it came from and where it's growing from and it's really exciting to to see where it's going to go to next it's um it's always funny to hear about how these things are born through social media our <laughs> podcast pride and progress was born through adam and i connecting on twitter as well and we're really lucky today because we have both of the authors of that upcoming book lois neversell webb is our final guest on the podcast today Lois's pronouns are she, her, and she's the head of humanities and the DEI lead at a rural Norfolk high school. Now, I'm really excited to talk about the book that Edel and Lois are co-authoring together, with a book titled The Secondary School's Guide to Pride, which is due to be published by John Cat this summer. 
The book will look at why pride groups are needed in UK secondary schools, as well as offering practical advice on how to set them up to grow and to sustain those pride groups. I think it aims to be a practical and usable guide for teachers. It sounds fantastic. Lois, welcome to the show. And could you tell us a little bit more about the book and what we can expect from the content of it? Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to the discussions and and hearing from from other people's experiences with pride groups in schools. so the book the book starts with an introduction and um, telling a little bit more elaborately the story that Idel had spoken about there regarding um, how the book came to be um, and a, a little nugget from that as to where I was when Idel texted me um, to say that the author the um, the publishers had wanted to work with us I was at a, a dinosaur park um, and my son was whizzing up and down a slide and I I kind of had to scramble you know look at my phone and go oh we've, we've you know oh my goodness they actually want us to do this now oh crikey we've actually got to to do this thing um, so the book starts off with an introduction talking through about that process and kind of the writing process and thanking all the people that we want to thank um, and then the the next chapter really looks at why pride groups are needed thinking about the historical context um, the contextual why and then also thinking about the real personal reason that so many of us and Phil, who who run pride groups in schools that have LGBTQ plus identities ourselves. Um, we do a chapter on stakeholder voice, how to call in students and other staff, um, leadership teams, governors and parents as well. I'm really thinking about, again, practical ways that you can gather stakeholder voice and then use it effectively to run and run your group and help it thrive. Um, we look at how you actually set up a pride group. Um, and so again, real practical steps to how you go from an idea to creating the group and then how you enable it to, to thrive and function successfully. And then um, also looking at pride events and how you can run a pride event within your own school, how maybe you could connect with other schools in your local area or within your, your trust and how you can build up a network working with other schools to make um, connections. And then kind of concluding, bringing the book together at the end. And, you know, as you said, we really wanted it to be a, a practical, a practical guide. You know, there will be sections in that book where people can make notes, they can share ideas. And it's something you want them to, to read once, but then come back to time and time again. But like we said, we want the book to be messy by the end of it. We want pages turned over. We want pages highlighted. We want notes in those books. And we want people to then share that in their educational settings. Thank you, Lois. Uh, I get so excited when I hear people writing these types of books because I think what you're writing is an invaluable resource. And I love books that you can write on, post-it notes, messy, really well used. And that's exactly what this book sounds like it's going to be. So thank you for sharing that. So welcome, everybody. It's great to have you all here for our podcast today. Now, we've had a lot of requests to discuss the topic of pride groups on this podcast. And I think one of the reasons is that teachers are looking for advice and guidance on how best to either start a group or to keep one running successfully. Now, we've already talked a little bit about what pride groups are but I think it will be helpful for us to spend some time thinking about the logistics of a pride group. This could be thinking about getting permission, uh, the logistics of day-to-day running one, the purpose of the group, activities, and so much more. So, Frankie, we might come to you first, if that's okay. Could you start us off? What advice would you give to a teacher or leader who is thinking of setting up a pride group? I think I'd probably give slightly different advice to, to a leader than I would to someone who wasn't a leader in a school, which which I don't know if the the staff here would agree with but I think that it, it is you are in a slightly different position I, I a lot of people I talk to are for example ECTs trying to do this um and I think the starting point if you're an ECT or or, or something like that is probably a little bit different if you are in the leadership team where you have a bit more sway on things like budget time space all those sorts of things in school that can be quite hard to negotiate your way through I think I think my initial advice would be to to do a little bit of research and, and you know look around see what help there already is that already exists um and and see if and if you know can find anyone who has done what you've done before then that's also really really helpful I think then finding someone, if you're not on the leadership team, finding someone on the leadership team who you can get on board is really, really helpful. I think you it is possible to do this in a school where you don't have a lot of SLT support, but probably that's it's going to be a much more of an uphill battle is doing anything in a school is if you don't have SLT support. So I think what I would do is obviously if you know that there's someone who is 
maybe LGBT plus themselves or an ally, then probably go to them first in the first instance. Um, and maybe start looking at some of the sort of statistics around why this sort of stuff is important. Um, some of it can be can be trickier to read. So we've got a report called um, Growing Up LGBT Plus, which has some statistics in it that may not be that fun to read, just as a sort of slight content note, but that I think are important for emphasising why doing this work in schools is still so important. Um, and I think can be a way to kind of activate those people in a school who maybe, I'm not going to say don't care, but maybe slightly more apathetic towards it, or maybe don't kind of see the importance of it. Um, I'd, I'd think a little bit about some of the logistics. I don't think you have to have thought that through all at first, but I think if you're going to someone with a proposal, it's useful to go to them with, we think running it on this lunchtime would work, or we think running it in this space would work. You don't, you know, they may or may not, that may or may not be how it transpires, but I think it's quite a good starting place. I think also it's really important to say that whilst this might come from you, or it might come from the staff, talking to the students is probably in fact the most important thing um not all schools will have students who feel that they can be vocal about this hopefully having a group will allow student voice to come through more because i think it would be extremely shocking to me if there isn't a single school in the country that doesn't have students who need this space um but some schools might it might be easier for students to kind of voice the fact that they need that but i think if you are thinking about so something that we we really emphasize is having student leaders and that will look different in every school but i think if there are students who you already think might be interested or might have expressed an interest talking to them about it and what they want from the group is is a really important starting point as well so i think you're kind of taking on it from that two angles of what do the students want what will work for them what will work for this context but also how can I make sure I've got the permissions in place um, and that kind of more logistical stuff that in a school you do realistically you need to have before you're setting up. To be honest, anything, even chess club, you're going to need some kind of sign off in a school. So uh, I think with something like this, of course, it's going to be that same process. Um, so I think that would be my sort of initial starting advice. That's great. So many practical tips, logistical things for teachers, educators, to leaders to think about. Um, Frankie, you mentioned earlier about the importance of these groups being open as well to allies or young people who are questioning and to other members of staff as well. So um, Edel, I wonder if you could perhaps to give, a, give our listeners a little bit more advice about how we frame these groups in terms of who they are for. I'm going to be the the odd controversial person in the corner. I'm quite passionate about um, us identifying any type of activism group and then also being aware that there's um, a need for space for the queer community and that those two things can absolutely, I agree with Frankie, operate in unison and as a beautiful, wonderful space together between allies and queer people. But I, I am very passionate about the need for there also to be queer space. And that can look um, like a whole variety of things when we're talking about schools, right? Because lots of young people and staff will have varying degrees of openness about their, their identity and their queerness, whether that be from an employment point of view or because they're still exploring who they are at any age. Um, but I think part of that is, is around knowing what success looks like for your school. So I think to go back to your question, Joe, you know, it, that's a bit of an organic beast, right? So what success looks like is can look like a whole range of different things. Um, but knowing what that is for your setting is a really good place because it means you can both welcome people in, but also maintain that momentum because you kind of know roughly what you're aiming for. In schools, we love, you know, attendance percentages, engagement, GCSE outcome, like we're numbers, numbers, numbers. But what about if your success was about joy? You know, what if you were saying this club is about bringing queer joy to allies or, you know, joy to our school community through our activism or creating joy within this space for queer people. And that's really what um, my advice would be around is considering the success, considering the point of of where your group is at and then kind of focusing on what that might look like and trying to not go how we normally go in schools. I am a spreadsheet queen, but maybe thinking a bit beyond that and going like, what, what are we talking about here? Um, 
The other thing I would just comment on is networking for yourself as well. So, you know, whether that's at a school setting, a little bit what Frankie said, or on social media, just like us have been phenomenal in my work in school, Pride and Progress podcast, whatever network, networking can be just listening to somebody else talk about it and you might never get to speak to them. Or it might be somebody, you know, in a local school or across the country that you can speak to. But I think all of that helps bring bring people into that space and be able to work with it. I think listening to both of you speak there, Frankie and Idel, there's, there's a lot to think about, isn't there, when we set up these pride groups. And um, Frankie mentioned earlier that sometimes this is ECTs or, or, or teachers on their own thinking about this. And I think that that idea of kind of collaboration and support is really important. Now, Charlotte, you mentioned how you kind of have this, this power team of you and your colleague working together to run your group in school. Could you tell us a little bit about how it has been useful to have somebody else else um, in this with you somebody else who you're doing this together with I think it would be so difficult to do alone like we we've both got a lot done on like independently but I think just having a small team even if it literally is a team of two I think it's just somebody to bounce ideas off it's somebody to kind of like just sometimes I think we just need somebody to listen to our crazy ideas and tell us if they're if they're kind of too mad or not um it's kind of we're really lucky that we've got a really great slt like where they're all so supportive so where that's really good for us um i think if you're in a position where maybe you don't have that level of support even just having a second staff member with you or a third or a fourth however many you've got with you just to kind of make this little power team just to try and get things done I think it just comes down to how many voices there are voicing that this is something that's needed like if one person is saying we need this thing that's great but then if you get multiple people especially multiple staff members and then multiple pupils all saying yes this is definitely something we want people are I think more likely to listen to people once there's multiple voices saying the same thing so yeah it's for us it's been it's so nice just to um just as you said the just the networking side of it as well like being able to to have somebody just to feed back to and we can go we've been to train like other local schools for their edi training sessions and it's so nice just to have somebody to do that with rather than feeling like you're trying to do everything alone. Um, yeah, it really is just that. Yeah, thank you, Charlotte. And that's such an important point. Even if it's just one other person, it's amazing the power you can have just one person to bounce ideas off or yeah. to kind of really collaborate and think about these things. And what you shared there was really nice and it, it, it makes me think about some of the schools I've worked in where a prior group's been set up uh, by one or two people thinking they might get 10 or 12 people. And in my last school, they launched the Pride group and there were 70 students and they had to find a new location for it and so on and so forth. Wow. Which is amazing. So I think when we start a Pride group, that's fantastic. But I think the sort of sustainability, for want of a better word of it, is something that can sometimes be a challenge, whether it's having enough staff to run it, a location, the activities, the routines and all those types of things. So, Lois, perhaps could you tell us a little bit or we'll give us some advice about how we make sure groups are sustainable, valuable and that intent uh, remains throughout? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think... I think the biggest piece of advice is to not worry about the size of the group. Um, and I think that's something that I I had to really kind of get my head around when I had quite a large pride group for our school. Um, and then with an outgoing year 11 that kind of left and then suddenly there were only like three or four kids that wanted to come along. And I had this real kind of imposter syndrome complex of going, I'm writing a book about pride groups and my pride group is really small. Like, what am I doing here? And And actually, you know, it's one of the conversations Adele and I had actually when we're kind of writing the book about this concept of it is it is the space that's important you know actually on reflection when I was at school you know yes it was under section 28 but let's say it wasn't and they were there was a pride group in my school would I have gone to it no I probably wouldn't have done I was out playing sport every lunchtime so even as a young LGBTQ plus person that wasn't a space that necessarily I would have gone to and I think kind of acknowledging that and going actually it's okay to just have this space and whether you you've got one person there or you've got 70 people there like the space is there and that is what is so important because it sends out a really clear message to 
the rest of the school community, but the wider community as well, that actually this is a safe space if you are LGBTQ+. And even those young people that don't want to go to the club because they're doing something different or they don't feel as though they're confident enough to, that acknowledgement that the club is there is so important. And I think, therefore, with sustaining a group, you have to realise you will go through peaks and troughs. You will have times where you have a really large cohort of young people working with you in that space and wanting to do leadership things and wanting to host pride events and do stuff at LGBT plus History Month and, and all of those things. And then times you'll have a group that is smaller and actually just working with the young people that are in front of you and creating a group that's right for them. You know, if it is that they just want a social space where they want to sit and have their lunch and chat with other LGBT plus young people, then that's fine. If actually they want to be more active and want to go and do things across the school and be more vocal, that's fine. If they want to have a combination of the two or one week it's one thing, one week it's something else, that's fine. If they want to talk about what's in the news, that's great. If they don't, because actually so often what's in the news for LGBT plus identities isn't great and they want to just have a space where they don't have to talk about that, that's fine. If they want to talk about a new show, I mean, my, my group is constant Heartstopper, you know, all the time, Heartstopper, 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 lovely. That's great. If that's what they want to talk about, if they want to talk about when the new book's released or when there's a new series, that's great. Um, and I think for me, it's just about making sure the space is right for the young people and that you can have an idea as the adult in the room as to what that space should look like. But ultimately, it's there for them. And it's about making it accessible for those young people and a welcoming space that they will come back to time and time again or that they will come back to when they need it. Mm, I think that that kind of pupil-centred approach to these groups is so important. And it's great to hear all of you talking about these logistical pieces of advice for people who want to start these groups. All of you have got experience of starting these groups, running them, supporting them and, and helping them to, to last over a long period of time. And... As we do that, I'm sure that all of you in different ways have come up against some barriers or some challenges in trying to maintain that. Um, Idal, I wonder if there's any particular barriers that you've come up against in trying to start or run your Pride group that it might be useful to share or to discuss the solutions for for the people who are listening today. What's been really interesting is we've all come here with lots of different experience, but there's common themes coming up across already and I speaking to what lots of people have already said around routine I think that's one of the biggest learning points I had around maintaining is that the whether you meet once fortnight once a month once a week that that is a sacred time like we would treat a, a um a lesson time that we have on our timetable and I think committing to that is one of the successes of maintaining the group and like what Lois was just talking about it doesn't matter if there's if there's one person there if there's 20 people there you're just maintaining that space so that space is provided so that one I think is a huge one and in terms of barriers you know I've had I've had quite a few <laughs> things. Um, I think that can be as big as um, being, uh, having really big safeguarding concerns raised against a pride group, which are not, not legitimate. They're more in response to the hysteria that's created in the media yes. and being able to navigate that in an honest way because uh, everyone who chooses to work in a school wants to ensure that they are safe spaces um, and that we are safeguarding our young people in as best way we can. But we know that as both queer people and also creating queer spaces, that in itself can um, signal things to people who hear about groups like LGBT groups in a way that does not ring true to anything that happens in them. You know, one of the things that we most regularly speak about in my group is the fact that every time we have a school holiday, somebody normally goes on a boat as part of their holiday. I mean, I don't think that hits the Daily Mail headlines of, you know, converting young people to, you know, being lesbians or queers or whatever it might be. Or their obsession with talking about Jaffa cakes, which is something that Joe has had to bear witness to. And it's like the reality is actually that sometimes it's about demystifying those and taking any challenges you may have, whether it's as big as 
having safeguarding concerns against you to as small as people being a bit grumpy that you want some funding or you want some time to be able, for example, to get a Just Like Us subscription for the Pride, um, for your Pride group or buying the Pride in Progress book or whatever it might be, buying some flags for your your Pride group. Somebody could just be a bit annoyed that you want a tenor or somebody could be trying to get you to lose your your job. You know, it can be everything between those. And I've had just about all of them. But from what Frankie was saying, having somebody in your school who's in your corner in terms of senior leadership is crucial to that. And having buy in quite early on is really important. Um, so I think around the maintaining, it's about the routine. And then I think around the barriers, it's knowing your leadership team are behind you. And if they're not leaning on things like, you know, the NEU, ASCAL, um, there's lots of very legitimate bodies that have well-versed uh, scripting and support that they can help you bridge that gap between maybe where your leadership is and maybe where the need for your school community is. So even if you can't get that buy-in immediately, I would suggest going and looking for some support because it's definitely there. Um, and you will definitely get somebody on the leadership team to crack eventually. That would be my <laughs> my tip. Just keep because one thing about I'm an, I'm a head teacher. The thing is, we don't have a lot of time. So if you keep chipping away at us, eventually we'll give in as well. So yeah, that would be my other thing is just keep going and get that support behind you from outside organisations if it really does get to that point as well. That's great advice around how we can navigate any challenges that do come up through support, whether that's colleagues, senior leadership or unions. I think one of the other challenges, or I said barriers and Edel said learning points, which shows um, that she's much more hopeful than me, maybe. But um, I think one of the other barriers or challenges that teachers bring to me when I talk about this is around resources and support for what to do in those sessions, what conversations to have and how to lead them. Um, Frankie, I know that Just Like Us offer great resources and support to Pride groups. And I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about that, what that looks like. Yeah, so um, when schools are signed up to our Pride Groups programme, they get access to a portal and the portal has lots of resources on it, including what I always refer to as our historic resources, but I think that makes them sound like they're about history and that's not what they are. Uh, some Someone said legacy. I don't know if that's the right word either. But anyway, basically all the resources that we've produced so far. So a good few years worth. And then we release new resources every fortnight and they cover... I would say every topic under the sun that it's possible to think about. So some of them cover more serious topics. Some of them are very whimsical. We've covered Strictly Come Dancing. We've covered uh, LGBT plus youth homelessness. We've covered, we did a whole series on LGBT plus trailblazers for LGBT History Month last year. Um, we also in the past year and a half, so nearly come up for two years, we've been having a theme each term, which relates to at least we try to do about half the resources on that theme um, and we're trying to basically make sure that our resources are as intersectional as possible so that students can learn more about different LGBT plus identities and experiences um, so for example last term we did a series of resources on LGBT plus British South Asian experiences which is something which I think a lot of young people won't necessarily know about and we want to make sure is kind of platformed um, for one of those we did an interview with Vinay who runs Bolly Queer which is a queer Bollywood dancing um, class experience um so we want to kind of platform those sorts of things and all our resources they they take sort of lots of different formats because as i said previously we know that there was just such a plethora of experiences and some some groups will have lots of time some will have none some will have, be in a room with a smart board some won't some groups are led by students some are not so our resources um aim to cater to lots of different audiences so we'll have some short-term activities that might be like a scavenger hunt or a crossword or a, um we've got some international women's day resources which my colleague made amazingly which are drawings which they did which i could never do which actually look really cool um mine would not look good um so they cover a whole variety of different sort of activities and often they come with for example discussion points around certain things because we know that lots of groups love to get chatting um, and the aim is not that these have to be used in a particular structure or a particular set order or that any particular part of any resource has to be used. They're there for schools to use 
in completely the way that works for them to pick apart if that's what works for them to take a little nugget of to to some of them could be used for a whole term's worth of sessions if people wanted to if there was something which really sort of took the, the the young people took a shine to some of them may not be appropriate for school particular school settings if it, if it doesn't work in your setting a particular resource that doesn't matter we're not aiming to this is not meant to be like a lesson this should not be it should be sacred in the way that the time as as Adele said I really liked that in the way that a class is but it should not be something that feels like it has to be taught or delivered in a way that that a maths lesson would for example this should be something much more flexible much more um adaptable to your space um, and we also have lots of resources that are for particular awareness days weeks months um so that they can be used each year for those times because i know for some schools that's a really helpful way to kind of plan out their year um and kind of think about when those days are and celebrate them even if not in their whole school to celebrate them just in their in their group Thank you, Frankie. Can I just and... mention that our favourite one recently was TV Bingo from the Just Like Us resources, where for LGBT History Month we looked at um, queer icons from TV across the world, and it was a bingo card as well, which was like really spoke to my, you know, desire to be a pensioner. <laughs> so it was fantastic <laughs> on many levels for both me and the kids as well. <laughs> I think we know we'll all be doing tomorrow. That sounds fantastic. But I can speak to the quality of these resources because in the way you've described Adele and my last school, they were amazing resources. And what's nice is what you've just said there. It doesn't have to be like a really strict curriculum. Some weeks you might want to just relax and talk about Jaffa Cakes and Heartstopper. And some weeks you might want those resources. But I think having them to dip into takes half the stress out of it sometimes. That panic of thinking, oh, what are we going to do next week? What are we going to do next week? Those activities and resources are there and, and they're really superb. So thank you for sharing that. One of the other barriers we'd like to briefly touch upon, you mentioned, Adele, about hysteria there sometimes and the panic and the conflation of LGBT groups and safeguarding. And one of the frictions that can exist, as we know, can be between faith schools or faith groups and, and pride groups. So, Charlotte, I'm going to ask this question to you, if that's OK. As someone that has set up a pride group in a faith school, especially as a non-religious person yourself, could you tell us a bit about how you navigated this? Yeah. So, I mean, as I said before, we're super lucky with an incredibly supportive SLT so obviously my experience isn't going to be the same as everyone else's experiences I know some faith schools are probably a lot more like a lot different to how mine is like our school isn't um we're a catholic school but we're only 25% catholic so it's it's not um probably the same experience as some but there is still that kind of you do still have that thought sometimes in your back of in the back of your mind like will we get pushed back from this and kind of thinking about everything we do we don't know if there's going to be any pushback from parents or from the diocese or from um from anyone else we've kind of got to go into things uh, treading a little bit carefully knowing that um th those those things might be a, a bit of a problem but i think i do think things are modernizing a heck of a lot now and even people of faith they're kind of like our head teacher we've got an interim head at the moment who uh is really passionate about just everyone having their own experience and kind of this whole thing of like we're all made in god's image and he wants us to be wants ever all the kids to sort of be their own person and like as it's really nice like as somebody who like I've never been religious in any way it's really nice to know that we have that that backing um and it's nice to sort of hear that perspective because I think it can be a little bit you see things in the media I mean I remember was it last year or the year before there was a whole thing with like Simon James Green and how he uh was banned from visiting a school because the London diocese um, that this school was part of sort of banned his visit to a school because his books are like gay books. Um, but so yeah, this kind of, we see this in the media a lot with some of those more, some of the sort of organisations that might be a little bit more um, stuck in the past with some of their, their thoughts. But we're really lucky where we do have... Um, we've got we're very progressive we've had Ofsted in very recently and they even they commented on how 
everything feels quite nice and warm and the pupils even said um i know they said to one of the pupils how would you feel if uh, you came out as gay would you feel supported and they were just like oh like absolutely and i think all my friends would help help me like get set up with someone and it was this, this <laughs> like this really nice response but i think just to speak to the work that we've done it's come from that and i think we have to sort of pat ourselves on the back and think when I started, I've, I'm already feeling, I've been in the school for almost three years and I'm already feeling the difference from us just putting that out there and doing the work. Um, so, yeah, it can be a little bit scary, I think, to face those, because a lot of the barriers might not even be there. They might just kind of be, you might be sort of making them bigger than they are in your mind because they can be a bit scary. Um, but... Yeah, I think if it just goes back to having that support system. What you said there is really interesting because whilst there is sometimes this friction or this mm-hmm. tension, often, as you said, there is actually, it's a it's a perceived threat. And yeah. often we have this um, expectation of what faith schools will think about mm. LGBT work. But some of the most inclusive schools that I've worked with are faith schools. Yeah. Um, our colleague, and, and who's been on the show a few times now, George White, um, George is a trans teacher teaching RE in a Catholic school. Their Catholic school is one of the most inclusive schools that I've spent time yeah. in. Um, if you are listening to this um, podcast episode and you are in a faith school setting and you are concerned or worried about how to navigate LGBT plus work in that space, then reach out to George, who I just mentioned. His mm. website is transcatholicteacher.com. You can contact him there. He offers support to faith schools specifically trying to navigate doing LGBT work in their space. Something else I'd like to talk about, Adele, earlier you talked about the importance of kind of protecting queer spaces or LGBT spaces, and I, I, too, I do agree with that completely, but I'm also conscious that sometimes LGBT groups can become quite siloed in a school uh, and, and removed from the non-LGBT students and colleagues. So, Lois, could you perhaps talk around that a little bit? Is there a way we can develop allyship um, more broadly within the school? How do we make sure pride groups are supportive and inclusive, but don't become siloed from the wider school community? Yeah, I think I think that allyship is so important because ultimately what you want to ensure is that those young people that are going to pride group or who maybe are questioning their identity who aren't going to the pride group know that if they come out to a friend, they're going to be supported. And it's about how you ensure that that happens within the school. So I think for me, um, I didn't actually start a pride group initially. Um, my group was more of a kind of inclusion. It was called the Campaigns and Equality Society back in the day. And now it's kind of changed a little bit and adapted over time. And that was there first before the pride group. Um, and that very much was about allyship and was about um, all types of diversity and inclusion within a school. And the pride group was born from that because I recognised the need for that that queer space. Um, and those those two groups have some crossovers. They're students that come to both. So I think that's really helpful because then those LGBT students have got their space where they can talk very openly um, about their identity, about maybe issues they have um, and kind of peer support. But then they then come into the kind of more um, diversity and inclusion um, space that is a bit more holistic and they can they can bring what they want of their identity to that space. So I'd say that if you have a pride group in the school, but you don't have a separate kind of campaigns, equality um, diversity group, whatever you want to call it. And um, we've actually rebranded for the third time and now the, the activist network within the school. So um, I think maybe making sure that you have that separate space as well, where that allyship can happen, but also protecting queer spaces. And I think it's about um, speaking to those LGBT um plus young people and saying actually you know what what do you want to happen like what are you prepared to get involved with do you want to help lead the assemblies to promote the group and talk about your lived experience um do you want to produce things for form times that's going to actually allow young people to recognize your lived experience whilst potentially kind of having some sort of anonymity to that situation so again I think it's about using those LGBT plus young people in the way that they feel comfortable and sharing their lived experience to have that real tangible person that the allies or the non-LGBT plus young people can kind of place things on Um, and what I mean by that is 
getting them to understand lived experience of someone that they know. And I think that's really interesting rather than, you know, okay, I know a celebrity that's come out or I know that my friend's cousin's um, son has come out or whatever it is. Actually, you know, this is, you know, these are people in our community that we know that we respect and here are their lived experiences. Um, And I think that will help with with allyship as well when it's actually really tangible. Thanks, Lois. I think you spoke so well and to the importance of allyship there and having the spaces that are safe and protected, if you like, but also to bridge that wider gap within the community. And I think that's really valuable advice. And Frankie, it might be helpful if you could perhaps tell us a little bit about uh, Allies Week, which is uh, launched the first time this year. It just happened a couple of weeks ago. Perhaps you could tell us a bit about what Ally Week is and how schools could get involved next year. Yeah, so Allies Week is an initiative that we've launched this year for the first time, specifically for Pride groups. And the aim is really just to get the Pride group in a school to engage with allies in some way or in in improving allyship in their school environment. And that will look different in every school. But the aim is really to, to, to kind of make the, uh, kind of what Lois said, to get students at the heart of making sure that allyship is happening in their school because a lot of young people and actually a lot of staff probably think that they would say oh I'm an ally but they actually don't know what active allyship looks like they don't they're probably not behaving like an ally all of the time Um, and so it's really thinking about how people in schools can be activated to to show their allyship and to become more active in their allyship so the week is it can look different in every school. The, the sort of aim was to engage in something within the whole school. Lots of groups, for example, um, ran assemblies in their school. And like Lois said, some some groups, it was the students who led that. I had one uh, group tell me that it was a year nine who led. It might even have been you, Charlotte, a year nine who led some assemblies. Um, and But then there are lots of schools where obviously the students don't feel comfortable doing that, which could be a mixture of the school setting, but also personality. Not everyone wants to speak in front of the year 10s on a Thursday morning. Um, and so some sometimes it was staff who were doing that. Sometimes it was staff who were allies. Some schools had displays. Other schools ran what we were calling an open pride group session. So it was a, or bring an ally session. So you bring a friend, bring a sibling, bring a teacher um, who's an ally and they come along to it. Um some schools uh, did did sort of events or, or ran, um, so some schools ran heart stopper showings. I know Charlotte did that. So schools did lots of different things. Some schools had form time specific events. Um, and this year was just a pilot. So next year is going to be bigger and better. And, and next year we're also going to be focusing on al- intersectional allyship within the LGBT plus community, which I know I've talked about already, but it's so important that, that we should be allies to one another, that just because you're in the community doesn't mean that you don't need to be an ally to others who may have different experiences to you or, or almost certainly do have different experiences to you. Um, so that's that's what allies week was really about this year so one of the things that we did um to to kind of help schools with this process was come up with the acronym lead which stood for listen educate advocate and do um which we put on all the posters and we had little symbols and the sort of aim of that was to give a framework for helping the, the students in the prior group to help others understand what kind of active allyship means. Um, and, and it seems to have been quite popular as a sort of acronym. So yeah, it's for anyone who's part of our Pride Groups programme, um, they can just sign up and then um, have access to the resources and it'll be next year in the final week of January. Brilliant, thank you so much, Frankie. And uh, as we start to draw to a close here, I would like to give a chance to signpost some of the amazing resources we've talked about today. So first of all, Frankie, could you signpost us in terms of both uh, the Pride Group's resources, Ally Week, and also uh, Diversity Week later this year. Yeah, so you can find out everything about all our programmes on our website, which is www.justlikeus.org. If you have any questions, then you can just send an email to info at justlikeus.org. Um, you can sign up to uh, School Diversity Week on our website for free, and you can also pay for our Pride Group's programme on the website, um, or you can request an invoice just drop us an email and that's 99 pounds plus VAT but just drop into our inbox if you have any questions and we'd be happy to help if you want any sample resources or anything like that we're also more than happy to to send those across 
Brilliant. Thank you so much, Frankie. And Adele and Lois, uh, I'm sure everybody is like me and is desperate to get their copy of Secondary School's Guide to Pride. So can you let us know how we can pre-order and when can we get our hands on a copy? So we have we have a, a Twitter. Um, so it's just at Guide to Pride. Um, it's been a bit dormant for a little while, but obviously in the build up to the, the launch of the book, it will kind of reactivate and we'll do a bit more with, with regards to that. Um, and the book is going to be published through John Cat Publishers and we are hoping if everything goes according to plan for a june publication date this year for um to link in with um pride month um so that is the the plan thank you everybody for making the time to talk to us today it's been a fascinating conversation about how we can start and develop pride groups in our schools and i hope that it will inspire our listeners and our community to think about how they can do that in their own educational spaces now to end our conversation today i'd love to hear each of your thoughts on how would you finish the sentence pride groups are Pride groups are hopefully making the future feel a little bit brighter and a little bit clearer for those pupils that feel like it's all a little bit daunting at the moment. I wrote in originally, pride groups are boring, but the pride groups are boring because they're just wonderful queer spaces where we don't have to worry about the rest of the world. And for me, when we have nothing going on in the day they're the boring days that are wonderful in our pride group but another way to put that is pie groups are powerful because they allow us a space where we don't have to be anything other than ourselves i am going to steal from adele and say pride groups are joyful because i think although there is a tough landscape at the moment in lots of ways like everyone has said these are safe spaces for LGBT plus youth and staff and anyone who wants to be involved to be who they are. And I think they, um, those who aren't in the group even can benefit because when some people are able to be authentically themselves, everyone else is more authentically able to be themselves. And that is so valuable, particularly when you're a teenager, because being a teenager isn't easy. So being able to be who you are it is a beautiful thing. So they're joyful. Pride groups are a clear sign that schools are a safe space for LGBT plus young people and they make a, make schools a more comfortable place for queer students. Thank you all so much. I thought that was a really good episode, Joe. That's a topic people have asked us about a lot of times uh, in training and in conversation. So I'm so glad we had the chance to really talk about the value of pride groups, but also provide some advice some signposting and some real practical advice for people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, off, off air, Adam, you said that that was kind of like our own little pride group coming together and discussing how this work can be best done in schools. And I think hopefully it's inspired some people who are listening to think about either developing their pride group if it already exists or, or starting one off if it doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously we talked about some of the resources in the episode there, but they'll all be in the show notes as well. So if you'd like to get some more information about the Pride Groups from Just Like Us or to pre-order the fantastic book, all the links to those will be in the show notes. That's right. And I would encourage you also to check out our website, prideandprogress.co.uk. There's a variety of resources available on there. And one of the things that I would encourage you to look at on there is we have a specific page talking about the Department for Education's non-statutory draft guidance relating to gender questioning children. Now, as you'll know from our previous episode, that consultation period ends on the 12th of March. We're coming up to that date now. So I would encourage you to go to our website, read the information that's available there and make sure that your voice is part of that consultation. Thank you so much for being part of this conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be really grateful if you could leave a review or a five-star rating, as this helps other educators to find these stories. If you want to continue the conversation, to comment or to ask a question, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Pride Progress. You can also find other ways to contact us in the show notes. Thanks for listening.